Welcome in love. Let's pray and we'll dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we go to your Word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So Peter, in the way of context, we know if you've been coming, that that Peter is writing this letter to the early church. This letter was actually passed around from church to church. The church was being dispersed largely due to persecution. And much of this letter has really been encouraging them to continue to have an eternal focus and to remain faithful in the midst of persecution and trials. Certainly that's something that can apply to all of us because you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. Welcome to Christian, the Christian life. Amen. So it's very rare that we aren't going through difficulty, and when we have those moments where we don't, be prepared because it's coming. And we'll talk about that as we go through the text this morning. So he's been encouraging them, and again, keep an eternal focus. At one point he says it's for but a little while. See, compared to eternity, whatever trials we're going through, they are temporary, even though they may seem permanent. They may even be permanent in this life, but they're temporary compared to eternity. Amen? Now, we didn't finish up last week. And uh, I'm going to go over last week's outline really quickly because we have to do the final point, and then we'll look at this week's text. So we're going to turn. So if you're in First Peter, go to chapter four. We're going to pick up there in verse ten. Last week we ran out of time. I told the message last week. It's time to live like a Christian. And as believers, we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. It should go beyond what we call ourselves. It should be evident to the world around us that we love Jesus by the way that we live. How do, you, how do you live like a Christian? Number one, by having the mind of Christ. We saw that last week, by having an eternal perspective. And again, recognizing that temporary suffering is nothing compared to the glory which is to come. To stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. Again, in the world, we are called to be hard workers. We're called to do the best that we can and all that we do. But our priority and our passion should not be of those things that are worldly, but those things that are eternal and godly. Uh, Number three, last week we saw to live every day in light of the judgment to come. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't do this, I do this often and I probably should do it more. I imagine the moment when I will stand before Almighty God. Does anybody ever do that? encourage you to do that more. Because when you imagine the moment when you're standing before the creator of the universe, you know, the Bible says in heaven, he'll wipe away every tear. I think some of those tears are going to be the tears we weep because we were not as faithful to what God had called us to do as we should have been. Can I get an amen besides me? And so I live every day, and I I often will think about that, because when we stand before him, it'll be too late to go back and change it. But it's not too late now. Amen? So live every day in light of eternity. Uh, Be a person of prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. She shall make my father's house a house of prayer. Show me, show, I'll, show me somebody who prays fervently. I'll show you somebody who's walking maturely. Uh, to have a fervent love for one another. And they shall know us by the love we have one for another. I tell you guys this all the time. I absolutely mean it. I love you with the love of Christ. You know, and the, but the agape, feet, you know, agape means, you know, it's a selfless love. It's loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. And that's why every time we have church, I feel like it's a family reunion. And that's why we're hugging on everybody, because we're so blessed to be together. So we're going to look at the last point, and then we'll dig into this morning's text. And the last point we didn't get to last week was to be a good steward of the gifts God has given you. Pastor Joshua does not let one announcement go by without talking about you using your gifts. And there's a good reason for that. 
And I want to say this, we're not encouraging you to use your gifts because we want more stuff done. That's not really why. We want you to use your gifts because there's a blessing in using the gifts God's given you. And when you use your gifts, you, you grow the most. The people that serve the most tend to be the ones that grow the most. We're not trying to enlist you in the army. We just want you to be faithful to use your gifts so you'll be blessed by the Lord. And so to be a good steward of the gifts God's given you, do what God created you to do. Think about it that way. God created you and gifted you so you would use it for his kingdom and for his glory. And then he blesses you when you do it. So what has God created you to do? Be faithful to do that. So let's pick up there in verse 10 and 11. We'll finish off. Um, again, get out of your comfort zone. It's not always easy. Uh, the first time you serve is the hardest time. Step out in faith and watch what God will do. Look at verse 10. It says, as each one of you received a gift, minister to it, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each born again believer is gifted. We didn't earn it. That's why it's called a gift. Um, and so God gives it to us so we might use it. You know, there's the parable of the talents in scripture where the one man took the talent given to him and he buried it in the sand. And when the Lord came back, he chastised him. When the master came back, he said, I didn't give you a gift so you could bury it and give it back to me. I gave you a gift so that you might put it to use. Again, God has given us varying gifts. You, know, you have gifts I don't have. I may have a gift you don't have. So that's how we minister to each other. This is another reason why the Bible tells us to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. When we gather together, we can all use our gifts and we can minister to one another. Amen? As Christians, we are not consumers. We're ministers. That's why, now look, if you have to be home, if you're sick, or you've got a pre-existing condition that keeps you home and away from church, God bless you, we love you. But if you can go to the grocery store, you can come to church. Amen? It, I find it odd when I run into people at Lowe's that I haven't seen a church. And I'm like, I guess we should have church at Lowe's, because evidently... There's no COVID here, but there must be a church. Guys, I want to encourage you that we want to be in fellowship because the family misses you when you're not here. And God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? Amen. We must be faithful to minister to one another. Again, he's telling them this in the midst of trials and difficulty, because here was the temptation. Because things were difficult, there were people that wanted to hunker down. Well, you know, they're feeding Christians the lions right about now, or I could be thrown in prison, or I could be beaten for my faith. You know, maybe I'll just stay home and watch on live stream. Maybe I won't go out and, and put a target on my back. Maybe I'll talk about the Lord a little less. And you know what? You know who wins when that happens? The enemy. He wants you to be quiet. If he can't take you to hell with him, he wants you to be quiet until you get to heaven. He wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. There's always a reason why we can't use our gifts. People, oh, well, you know, but, yeah, well, you know, I'm tired. All right, I've got work. I get it. Do your jobs unto the Lord. Be the best worker in the building. If God calls you to do something, he'll give you the energy to do it. Amen? Amen? With calling comes gifting. With gifting comes the ability to be faithful. The enemy is coming after the church. And we need all hands on deck. It's not a time to pull back. By the way, I don't want everyone, very few things frustrate me more than people say, we should just, you know, we should pull back. Show me a Bible verse for pull back. Amen? 
I had, a, I had an elder at a church where I, where I was pastoring, and that was his credo every week. Oh, I don't know. We should pull back. I don't think we should do that. What are we doing? More radio ministry? Oh, no, we should do it. Let's pull back. What are we spending money? No, no, we should pull back. So we pulled him back. <laughs> Love you. No pulling back. Amen? We're going to get to heaven and go, yeah, you should have done less. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you should have had a little less faith and just kind of sat on your hands and done nothing until things got better. That's the enemy. Amen? Amen. No pulling back. Let's step out in faith and see what God will do. In the midst of difficulty and trials, here's a thought that comes to mind for me. There's one word, and it's been this way for years, and it's even more today. Charge. Amen? When the enemy puts up a roadblock, charge. When the enemy wants you to stop, when there's difficulties, when there's trials, when you're grieving, when you're heartbroken, whatever you may be going through, it's not the time to let the enemy win. It's a time to recognize that this is why the Lord put us on the earth, which is use our gifts to glorify his name and to see other people saved. Amen? And we don't want to allow the enemy to win. It says, minister to one another as good stewards of the grace of God. See, God has given us grace, not so we can hold it on, hold on to it. I'm pouring out my grace upon you so that you may minister the grace of God to others. Amen? How can we keep it to ourselves? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Our sins have been paid for. We've been forgiven. We're going to heaven. The world needs Jesus. How can we not share the grace of God with others in the very proportion that he has poured it out upon us? As Christians, our gifts should not be hidden. We should take the gift of grace and pour it on others. Be active and evident. People should know it immediately that something is different about us. If your life is not being poured out, again, and actively impacting others in the body of Christ, we have missed out on God's calling. He's called you. He's gifted you. He gives you a specific gifts or gifts that are needed where you fellowship. See, God knew that you were going to be attending church here. And he knew that you had gifts that he has given you so that when you come here, you can be used to minister to others. We show up and the chairs are here. We show up and the heaters are on. We show up and the worship team's ready. You know, we show up and people have made food and put it out there. And we show up and that's because people are being faithful to their gifts. People are watching on live stream right now because people show up and put it on live stream. These messages are going to go on the radio because somebody edits them and puts them on the radio. See, when people use their gifts, people get ministered to and lives get changed. The body needs hands, eyes, ears, mouths, feet. They're all needed if the body is going to function properly. If you don't know what your gift is, ask God to show you. Get along with the Lord and get on your knees and ask him, Lord, how do you want to use me? And hear me say it often, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. If you see something and there's a burden in your heart, one of the things my son Mark was talking to me about a lot before he went to heaven it's been five months, feels like five years, but he was saying, dad, we need a singles ministry at our church. We need a place where people can come because they're kind of left out sometimes. And a lot of times couples couple off and the people that are single feel left out. And dad, we really need to do that. He was talking to me about that two weeks before he went to heaven. And the, and the same thing happened with the overcomers ministry. God put that on Brett and Anthony's heart. And, and the same thing with the, the you know, the uh, young adult Bible study or the women's study. So someone has a burden for, for people. And then what God does is he moves on your heart to minister to, to, minister to those people. 
What do you have a burden for? What do you have a burden for? Be faithful to step out and use the gifts God's given you. You know, the left, the gift, uh, gifts are for others, not for us. If we're not careful, we can be off base when it comes to the use of our spiritual gifts. God did not give you a gift for you. God gave you a gift so you could use it to minister to somebody else. Amen? God has given me the gift to teach the Bible. What if I just stood in a mirror and taught myself? That's not why God gives you the gift. Amen? God's given you the gift of hospitality. Well, then open up your house. God's giving you the gift of exhortation. Exhort somebody. Gift of, the gift of encouragement. We need Barnabases, don't we? People come alongside us and put their arm around us. Say, man, I love you. I'm praying for you. The gift of faith where you can step out when nobody else will. And those gifts that God has given you, he wants to use them. The gift of helps. I mean, just helping people in a practical way. My wife and I are going to this thing called Grief Share on Tuesday nights at Calvary Chapel Oxnard. And when they went around the room, and everybody in there has lost somebody recently, and we're all loving on each other. And here's what I heard last week when they were going around the room, a lot of widows. Of the 40 people that go to this thing, like 35 of them are women, because men die first most of the time. So all these widows are there. And here's what they said. They said, if you could have anybody minister you, what would, what would you like? And all, almost everyone said, well, I wish I could have a handyman just come over and do the things my husband used to do. You know, oh, you know my car broke down. I don't really know how to, I don't know. And, and there's areas, and these ladies are older, and they need help. And I, my heart just broke. And I just thought, you know, but that's how the body of Christ should function. Amen? Amen. Bible says, pure and undefiled religion is to minister to the orphans and the widows. But somebody's got to stand up. And use the gifts we have to minister to somebody that doesn't have them. Verse 11, he says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If he ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's talking about gifting. And he says, so some people have gifts to speak or to teach the word of God. There's teaching. There's exhortation. There's words of wisdom, there's words of knowledge, and when these gifts are truly active, what is being communicated is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So when they're delivering that, if they're truly gifted by God, they will speak the Word of God, not the opinions of man. Amen? Amen. Too many churches today, you go in, and there's, there's a whole lot of something else with a little bit of Jesus thrown on top of it. It's a motivational speech, or it's a political rally, or whatever it is. But the Word of God needs to be primary. It's the focus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by. It's the Word of God that transforms lives. And so if, if somebody is truly using the gifts God's given them in the way God called them to give it, God alone will be glorified, not the man using the gift, or the woman using the gift. Amen? And it's nauseating when I see somebody, I'm anointed, I'm anointed, I'm gifted, I'm anointed, you're blessed because I'm, just, if you have to tell me you're anointed, you're not. <laughs> Amen? And if you got your name, the worldwide ministry of, with your name across it, get thee behind me, Satan. Can I get an amen to that? Satan was thrown out of heaven because of pride. Any good that comes in us and through us is only by the grace of God, and to him alone be all the glory always. Amen? Amen? 
We praise him. We don't praise men. We don't follow men. We follow the Lord. We don't worship or even revere men. I've told you this. When I get a letter in the mail that says, Reverend David Jocelyn, that person does not know me. Amen? Amen? That's in the garbage. Here's the reality. We revere God. We can respect each other, and we should. Show each other preference and be, be kind and loving, but to God alone be all the glory. Always. Gifts are not for us, they're for others. And when we use them, God should be glorified. It does say in the Bible, let not many of you be teachers. There's a higher level of accountability. Be careful, you need to know the word and discern between the opinions of men and the oracles of God. Right now I'm, I'm on this site and there's a lot of Mormons coming on there saying, how dare you Christians say we're not Christians? And I, said, and I always just write back, Christians didn't say you're not Christians, Christ said you're not Christians. Amen? Because you deny that Jesus is the creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who always has been and always will be, and you believe you're going to be God of your own planet if you're a good man, and you believe the God of our planet used to be a man on another planet that was so good he got to be God of our planet. That's not the Bible. You're a cult. You need to get saved, and Joseph Smith is a false prophet. And I love you enough to tell you that. Amen? And again, and I, and I always tell them, Mormons are some of the nicest people I've ever met. And what breaks my heart is nice doesn't get you into heaven. Because you're just nice sinners. Like the rest of us. Amen? Amen. And so we need to know the difference between the oracles of man and the word of God. And the only way you're going to recognize the counterfeit is if you know the truth. And the only way you're going to know the truth is if you open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? Amen. So we need to open the word of God. We need to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because someone's going to come along, and, and the word of God is under attack. I see this all the time on the site. They're always like, well, the word of God, you know, and we already know that it's been translated and changed, and it's, and it's not even accurate, and Matthew. And, and it starts babbling. And then they'll quote, you know, Aristotle or something that was written before the Bible, and there's, no, there's nowhere near as many manuscripts. There's over 5,000 manuscripts that prove that this Bible is 100% accurate. Amen? Same thing was written. You can look in Dead Sea Scrolls. You can look at manuscripts from old days, and you pull them up, and you open it up, and it's the same. Because our God who put the stars in the sky can protect his Bible. Amen? Amen. And he has. So there's an attack on the word of God. There's an attack on Christians standing up for their faith. We've got gifts. Let's not hide them under a bushel. Some of those children's ministry songs are the best. This is a light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Amen? Hide it under a bush. Oh, no. I'm gonna, don't let Satan blow it out. Amen? I'm going to let it shine. That's good stuff. Amen? And we need to be reminded of that, that God has gifted us and God has called us. And many, again, so tragic, just allowing themselves to be deceived because they don't spend enough time in the Word. And then those who are speaking as if they're speaking for the Lord are giving their opinions. Again, he says, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. The word minister, there is diakono, where we, it speaks of a deacon, which speaks of a practical use of the gifts God's given you. So when give, God gives you a gift, use it. Helps, administration, mercies, gift of doing and serving and waiting of tables. And use the ability God supplies. God has gifted you uniquely. Don't compare yourself with others. 
When I was a young pastor, my pastor pulled me aside one day and had to admit um, I was going to be teaching the first time for him. I had been an assistant pastor for 10 years, and now I was at Calvary San Jose, and it was a church of about 3,000 people. And I was going to be teaching for him the next day, and I was preparing the message, and he and I teach so totally different, it's not even close. And, and he, he saw me studying, he walked in, he goes, hey, Dave, don't worry about being me, you be the man God's called you to be. And he said, you, you take the consistency of the word of God and the variable of a man's gifting, you put them together, and that's the message. He says, as long as this one is always consistent and the same, then this one is always going to be unique, and that's okay. Amen? Amen? And that's what I exhort our guys with. Look, don't try to be me. You be the person God made you. Just make sure you teach. If you're teaching the right book the right way, it'll take care of itself. Amen? But use the gifts God's given you. You don't try. You know, early on, uh, Pastor Chuck said that when he was in, uh, he was in seminary, everybody tried to be Billy Graham. Everybody tried to mimic Billy Graham. And Chuck said, I tried. And Chuck was not a, a, you know, a Bill, an outgoing guy. He was more, you know, more of a calmer guy. And he said, I remember that everybody, everybody you'd see, they would be doing this because Billy Graham did this when he taught. So they were all doing this all the time whenever they taught. You have the karate chop in the message, right? And he said, I'll never forget. I got out to make this great point. I put my hand out like this, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> and he said, I can't be Billy Graham. And you know what? There don't need to be two, mil, two Billy Grahams and none of you. There needs to be you and Billy Graham. Well, Billy Graham's in heaven now, but amen? You, you, God's uniquely gifted you. You use the gifts God's given you. That in all things God may be glorified, he says in the text, through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion and forever and ever, amen. When God is at work, he, not man, is glorified. You feel inadequate? Good. You're a person God can use. You know the ones I'm worried about? The ones that are confident. Amen? The ones that are arrogant. Oh, oh, they're going to be blessed to have me serve at that church. <laughs> Who am I going to bless? They're going to be so, oh, my anointing's just going to bless everybody. And they're so full of themselves. It's nauseating. Uh, I've, been, I've been teaching the Bible. It's 34 years this year. And if you ever watch me on a Sunday morning during the last worship song, I'm standing over here crying out for God to show up. And if I ever stop doing that, I'll stop teaching. Lord, if you don't show up, this is going to be a mess. Your Holy Spirit's got to show up. Please, Lord, for the sake of your people, show up, please. May your Holy Spirit speak. Amen. May we always stay humble and broken and desperate, not filled with ourselves and feeling like, you know, people are just so blessed that we've arrived. It's spiritual gifts, not your natural gifting that God works through. People will say things like, Oh, if so-and-so would just get saved, imagine how God could use them. God doesn't need them. They need God. God doesn't need us. We need God. Amen? If such a musician would get saved, can you imagine? Well, we've seen some of that lately. And they come in and they burn out. Having big, huge things and thousands of people showing up and lay hands on no man quickly. And then all of a sudden you look up and they're, they're gone. That's why it's not, we, don't, we don't need personalities. We just need the people that are born again to use the gifts God's given them. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's the end of last week's message. It's time to live like a Christian. This week, if you have your outline, grab it. There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. 
If we're going to grow spiritually, two things we're going to look at. Rejoice in suffering and examine our lives. If God is going to use you, you have to come to a place where you can rejoice in suffering because suffering is a part of the Christian walk. And the second thing is to examine our own lives before the Lord. So rejoice in suffering. We'll look at three things. Expect suffering as a part of the normal Christian life. It produces deeper fellowship with Jesus and the Spirit of God rests upon you. And then examine our lives. Number one, what's the source of suffering? Sometimes we're suffering because we are being persecuted for our faith. I think more times we are suffering because of consequences of our own sinful behavior. Amen? So that suffering we brought on ourselves, and we can't you know, doubt God. Or qu- that's on us, consequences of sin. But sometimes, again, it is because we're being persecuted for our faith. Examining your own life. Am I ashamed of the Lord or bringing glory to his name? Are you afraid to let people know you're saved? Do you kind of keep it to yourself? Are you ashamed of the gospel? I know that we all have times where we can be fearful in the moment, but God is not the one that gives us the spirit of fear. That's the enemy. Amen. And I want to encourage all of us that just whenever, whenever you're hesitant to speak up for the Lord when you know he's encouraging you to, just think about him hanging on the cross for you. You determine the value of something by what someone's willing to pay hung on a cross for us. We can speak up for him. Amen? See down there, am I living every day in light of eternity, in light of coming judgment, and have I fully committed my life to the Lord? So let's begin there in verse 12. There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. For to grow spiritually, you must first learn to rejoice in suffering. Now, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense from a worldly perspective. Rejoicing and suffering. Those two things seem that they should be uh, completely at the opposite ends of the same spectrum. But it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He's saying to a bunch of believers who are going through persecution for their faith, and he's saying, don't think that this is some strange thing. Don't be surprised that when you love the Lord, that the world will persecute you. Don't be surprised when you make a stand for God, there will be people who don't respond well. This is part of living for the Lord. And these fiery trials that come are a part of the Christian walk. Notice he begins with beloved. The word there is, it's a form of the word agape. And he's saying, dear, esteemed, favorite, those worthy of my love. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. As Christians, we must not be surprised by the fiery trials of life. We need to view them, don't view them as some sort of strange, foreign, or unexpected occurrence. The Bible says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when. We live in a fallen world. We are going to go through difficulty. There will be trials in this life. And as believers, we should not be surprised when they come. As Christians, we need to learn to expect trials as a vital part of God's divine plan to both do a work in us and through us. People will say, if there's a loving God, why do people suffer? That's probably one of the number one questions I get as a pastor. Well, you're a pastor. Okay, if there's a loving God, why do people suffer? Let me tell you first why people suffer. Because people are sinners. It's because of sin. You know, if nobody sinned in the garden, there'd be no suffering. Amen? When God created it, it was suffer-free. And because of sin, we suffer. Amen? Amen. So suffering, first of all, and the evil in this world, none of it has to do with God, and all of it has to do with sinful man. 
So blaming God for ungodly behavior of ungodly people is ridiculous because he came to seek and save that which was lost. And if the ungodly people would give their life to God, they wouldn't be living that way anymore. Amen? So it's not God's fault, it's man's fault, right off the bat. Well, if there's a loving God, why? Again, and then to believers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. So the prophets did, so they did to the prophets who went before you. Jesus said that on the Sermon on the Mount. So we all go through trials. And here's the good news as believers. Look, so does the world go through trials too? What's the answer? Here's the difference for us. We don't go through it alone. Amen? Amen. The Lord's with us. He's in the fire with us. He never leaves the fire. When you go into the fire, he's been waiting for you. He's a faithful God. Amen? He's also seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you while you're going through the trial. And then the Bible tells us he's the God of all comfort. So he comforts us. He walks with us. He never leaves us. And so when we go through the trials of this life, they are for but a little while. But God will use them for his glory if we will let him. I think the most tragic thing is if we go through suffering, we don't allow God to use it. I don't want, the Bible tells, you know, I've told you this, no suffering is wasted. All suffering is used that God might be glorified. You know what suffering does too? You know when people watch you the most? When you're suffering the most. And that's when they recognize something's different by the way you respond. And you're only able to respond different because you have Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can respond in a different way than the world does. That's why the world's so afraid of everything. That's why the world panics all the time. You know, people say, well, well, yeah, well, I'm afraid. I said, well, yeah, you don't know the Lord. You should be afraid. Amen? Amen. If I didn't know where my attorney was, I would, I'd probably be hiding in a box somewhere, afraid of everything. But because we have the Lord, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to walk in fear. We must expect trials as a natural part of our daily walk with the Lord and see them as a, an opportunity to grow spiritually, not a tool of worldly punishment. The word fiery trial there, uh, while these trials and suffering are not expected, they are both our, for our good and for God's glory. And it doesn't mean they're easy. See, just because we walk through them with the Lord doesn't mean they're easy, and it doesn't mean that it's always something that we can anticipate, but even in the midst of all of that, we don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in it and through it. It's very obvious, if any of you who know me at all, you know that the trial that my wife and I are in right now is worse than anything we ever anticipated. Nobody wants to bury their 28-year-old son. Nobody wants to find him, do CPR, and watch him die. Nobody wants that. And you know what? It, it rips your heart out. And it has not been easy. And my life will never be the same. But God is already using it for his glory. And I'm holding on to him tighter than I ever have. And if I did not have the Lord, I don't think I'd survive this. But because of the Lord, because he sent his son to die, I know I'm going to see my son again. Amen? And heaven is better and there's an eternal perspective. And whatever trial you're going through, just know that God will use it for his glory. I've done three funerals since my son died for people who've had children die. 
Because they find out, they reach out, they call, they know that you know what they're going through. We're sitting in the grief share on Tuesday nights. We're able to minister to other people. Why? Because, you know, there's empathy and sympathy. Empathy is, sympathy is, I feel bad for you. Empathy is, I know how you feel. And see, and this is ministry I want no part of. I would check out today. I'm going to give you Mark back. You lose all, bring him right now. I'll give you everything I have to have my son back. But that's me being selfish. My son's doing better than I am. Doing better than all of us, amen? Heaven's better. But those fiery trials, God will use them, but it doesn't mean they're easy. Amen? So as Christians, we don't have to pretend like it doesn't hurt. It does hurt. The Bible says we grieve, but not as those without hope, but we do grieve. And Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, amen? And so when we're, when we're in that position, we do grieve, but it's, we, we, we're not alone. And God is faithful, and we can trust him. And we must learn to rejoice in suffering. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we're downplaying it. The word for fiery trail, trial is a burning by which metals are roasted and reduced. A fire of refinement that removes the dross and refines the metal. See, you take impure metals and they put them in the hottest fire and they heat it up until what it does is it melts away all the impurities. So what you have left when the metal cools off is a more pure metal. And the same thing happens to us. When we go through the refiner's fire, it melts away some of those impurities in those areas of our life that need to go. And it molds us more into the image of our Savior. I can tell you this, that my priority and my thoughts of heaven are more now than they've ever been. I think about heaven 10 times a day now. Why? Because my son is there. I should have been thinking that way because Jesus is there. Amen? I'll also tell you that things that used to be important to me mean absolutely nothing to me now. Why? Because it just gives us a greater eternal perspective. The more, that the, that we, the more loved ones we have in heaven and the more things that go through life, things that I used to think were important, I could care less. I've never, I never have been, cared that much about money. I care less about money now more than I ever have. I just don't care. Because you know what? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And all this temporary stuff just doesn't matter. Who cares? There's a ding in your car. It's all going to burn. I don't care. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And why does that happen? Because God does something in us. And we're all works in progress, amen? And my heart should all, for all of us, be wherever you are spiritually, that a month from now, you're closer to God than you are today. And a year from now, you're closer to God than you are a month from now. We should be drawing closer to the Lord every single day. And suffering is something God uses to help us recognize that this stuff's all temporary. It's all temporary. It's all gonna burn, amen? And those fiery trials are not wasted, Calamities are trials that test and purify our character. Notice it says there, which is to try you. Literally, which means it's testing you. The context, don't think it's strange that trials are going through right now, and they're testing you. Faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? Who do I want to listen to the most? People that have been through the trials the most and remain faithful out the other side. Amen? So when you look at somebody and go, you know what? Your faith is real. I, I've told you this repeatedly. One of my favorite Bible teachers is John Corson. John Corson lost his wife. A dozen years later, lost his daughter. A dozen years later, lost his son. And that brother is faithful. He's hurting. 
He grieves, but that's someone I want to listen to. Amen? Amen. Someone whose faith has been tested, and you can see that it can be trusted. Trials, even fiery trials, should not be strange or unexpected in the life of a believer. God is sovereign, and your trials are a part of the plan before the foundation of the world. One of the things I really struggled with when my son died is you want to blame yourself. I stayed late at church that night. I usually would go and check on him in his room because he struggled with depression. And for whatever reason, that night I didn't go in his room. The lights were on. I got, and then I found him the next morning, and I was just beat up. And you say, Lord. And then the Lord, I, just, I was crying out to him, Lord. And uh, I, I may have told you this already, but Mark 9, 17, I was in a, I was in a shower, and, and I was just weeping. I was like, Lord, I, did I fail my son? Man, I should have been a better dad. You know, and you get that guilt. And I, the Lord always speaks to me through the word. And so I was, in the, I was in the shower and I was like, Lord, help. I need to know. And Mark died on 917. And it says, on, even though he died earlier, they, his pronouncement of death was at 917 on 917. So I'm in the shower and God puts it on my heart. Go read Mark 917. So I open my Bible to Mark 917. It says, teacher, I give you my son. A man had a son who was struggling with an uh, unfamiliar spirit, and he had taken his, he'd taken his son to the apostles, and they couldn't cast it out. And he, he brings him to the Lord, and he says, Teacher, I bring you my son. I said, Oh, thank you, Lord. And then the Lord says to the man, he, said, he says, How long has your son dealt with this? He says, Since, since childhood. I thought, Well, that's Mark. He's been struggling with depression since he was 13 years old. And then you read on further, and the Lord delivers him. And everybody says he's dead because he falls over like a dead man. And then the Lord reaches down and grabs him and pulls him up. And see, the world thinks my son is dead, but he's not because the Lord has pulled him up and he's in heaven. And God used his word to comfort me in the midst of that trial. See, he's the God of all comfort. Amen? And, and now I know that God, and I, I knew it in my head, but I need to know it in my heart, that God knew before the foundation of the world when my son was going to heaven even before he was born. Amen? And see, guys, when you, put in the, when you put your faith in the Lord, the enemy will beat you up with guilt. And when you trust in the sovereignty of God, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Amen? And whatever trial you're going through, God saw it before the foundation of the world, and he's walking with you through it, and he will never leave you nor forsake you, and he's going to bring you out the other side closer to him, so bring on the trials. Amen? And count it all joy. Trials can form us into the image of our Savior. They're a testimony to the world around us, and they prepare us, preparing us to be even more effective testimony in the future. We won't fully grasp all the trials we're preparing for us for until we get to heaven. But faithful servants and obedience in the smaller things are often preparation for something even greater. You know, I think about, I didn't really watch the Winter Olympics. I was kind of over it, but I usually watch the Summer Olympics. I like it. I'll watch stuff I'd never watch any other time ever. I watch fencing. You know, you know what I mean? You watch stuff because it's in the Olympics. But I always think about, these guys spend four years getting ready for a nine-second race. Don't oversleep that day. Can I get any to that? <laughs> you know? And you always feel bad for the guy that like, pulls a hamstring. He spends four years for one race. You know what? All that we go through, God is preparing us for moments like that. Amen? 
You're going through it. You don't understand why. You may go through it for years, and it's years of preparation. Here comes a divine appointment, and what you've been through now gives you an opportunity to speak into somebody's life. Amen? Amen. No suffering is wasted. Produces a greater result, a great result when everyone is, you know, it's, it should be our heart. Times when an athlete is weary, he thinks about the prize. When he, when he wants to quit working out, my football coaches tell us when I played in college, he'd say, hey guys, we're going to be tired today, so we're not tired in the fourth quarter on Saturday. We're going to wear you out now so that you're ready to, when, when the trial comes, when the difficulty comes, when it's the fourth quarter and there's a crowd full of people and the game's on the line and you want the other guy more tired than you. And the same is true for us. No suffering is accidental. It's a normal part of every Christian life. And when you grow weary in the midst of fiery trials, focus on eternity. You know, we don't focus on the, on the football game on Saturday night. We focus on heaven. Amen? We focus on, how, Lord, how are, we going to use, how are you going to use this to impact eternity? Again, be encouraged. You're not the only one going through it. So expect suffering. It's a normal part of the Christian walk. Point B there. It produces deeper fellowship with Jesus, like in verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It produces deeper fellowship with Christ and great joy at his return. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in his suffering. When we face persecution from the world, remember Jesus. If you suffer for doing good, remember we are being treated just like our Savior was. We are called Christians. We shouldn't be surprised when the world treats us the way they treated Christ. And none of us has suffered one hundredth of what Christ did. Amen? But we shouldn't be surprised when the world responds to us in the same way they responded to our Savior. We shouldn't be surprised when they treat Jesus in us the way they treated Jesus apart from us. The enemy hates you. Satan hates you, hates you, wants you dead, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? Good news is, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Satan is a defeated foe. We don't need to be afraid of him. He's not the opposite of God. He's toast compared to God. He's nothing compared to God. He's a created being. Let God take care of him. You focus on the Lord. Amen? Amen? But he wants you dead. And if he can't kill you, he wants you rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. You know what's amazing to me? Who wrote this letter? We know the Holy Spirit wrote it, but who penned it? It's in the name of the book. Who is it? Peter. Okay. This is the same Peter that when he was standing, warming himself at the fire, and a teenage girl said, you're one of his followers, cussed and said he didn't know the Lord and ran away and hid. And then... 40 plus days later, stood up in front of an entire crowd of people, preached the gospel with boldness, and 3,000 people got saved. Even some of the people he was afraid of got saved. Amen? Now, what in the world happened to Peter? The Holy Spirit. Amen? So when we're walking in our own strength, we're afraid. And we're petrified, and the words of the world make us crumble under them. But when we're standing in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not afraid of anything. We only fear God, not man. 
And if we can be emptied out and let the, be tools in the hands of the master, the Holy Spirit can speak through us and God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ever ask or think. Amen? Amen. There's the exhortation. Yeah, we're going to face trials. It's going to be difficult sometimes. But it's going to produce a deeper fellowship with Jesus. Peter told Jesus to avoid the cross. You remember that? Oh, no, Lord, you can't do that. We're not going to allow that. We can't have that happen. This paraphrase, but no, you're not going to do that. God's so bad. What did God do? Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter had the, you're, oh, the Lord told you this, and he had, get thee behind me, Satan. This guy was on both spectrums, amen? Feels like my life sometimes. How about you? Sometimes on fire for God, sometimes not so much. But that same Peter is now exhorting them that this suffering you go through, his glory is going to be revealed. And that has, and you may be glad with exceeding joy. When, you know, when we stand before the Lord, we're never going to regret stepping out in faith for him. Amen? We're, we're never going to regret serving him even in the small things. The Bible says, if you get a cup of cold water in my name, anything we do, let's do it for the Lord and let's do it with boldness and recognize that the eternal blessing is the only one that matters. You know, the only thing I want, the only, here's my 401k that I'm longing for. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen? Amen? Nothing else matters. What have you done with God's son? Don't think it's strange. Don't imagine it any different that the world will persecute you, but God will give you the strength to stand for him in the midst of it. Our heavenly father sent his son to suffer and die. I've spent my life to protect my children from suffering. And you know what? If he sent his son to suffer and die, why do we think that we should live a life free of suffering? Amen? If suffering will bring glory to his name and others closer to the Lord, if this is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It says that when his glory is revealed, we may also have exceeding joy. Peter reminds us to keep our eyes on eternity. You know what? We get upset about stuff that won't matter in heaven. Almost all of it won't matter in heaven. Amen? People's sports teams lose, and they're bummed out for six months. I'm like, dude, there are a bunch of millionaires making a bunch of money that forgot about the game already, laying on the beach, and you're upset. Nobody cares. Get over it. Can I get an amen? amen. You see obituaries, Raider fan or whatever, and you're like, dude, uh, is Jesus on the list somewhere? Amen? amen? And it's tragic that, you know, the only thing that will matter is eternity. We should be bummed out about stuff that's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. There's an eternal reward that waits for those on the other side of this. Romans 8, 17 says, and if children, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint, and joint heirs with Christ, that if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. There is no shortcut to spiritual maturity or the becoming a joint heir with Christ. There's no shortcut. We want to put our faith in a microwave. Lord, just give me faith. It's in a crock pot. Amen. It grows slow over time. Amen. 
Chili in the crock pot, man. Come back tomorrow. It'll be ready. Amen. <laughs> Tastes better than the microwave though, doesn't it? But the reality is that that's how we want our faith. We want our faith to just give me faith right now, you know. But the reality is it, it goes through time and it goes through suffering and it goes through different. That's why no suffering is wasted. All of it is going to mold you more into the image of our Savior. And virtually all of it is an opportunity that God could be glorified. Amen? Amen. And so praise God for suffering. I won't go into it because I talk about it so much you guys are sick of it. De- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's my bros right there, okay? It's my homies right there, those guys. Stand when nobody else will, in the fire, throw them in the fire. Hey, we're not going to obey you. We're not going to bow. Our God will deliver us, and even if he doesn't, we don't care. Because all you're gonna, if you throw me in the fire and I burn up, I'm in heaven. And if not, I stay here. Either way, God's in control. And, I'm not and they're in the fire, and Jesus is in the fire with them. They had to be called out. Who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? To come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Because three guys stood up when nobody else would. Amen? Amen. Do you think they're in heaven bummed out that they went through the fire? They're in the fire. They had to get called out of the fire. When I touch fire, I don't have to be called out of it. Amen? (laughs) It's quick. They're in the fire. Come out of the fire. Because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? Amen? It's better to be in the worst trial the world can dish out to you and have Jesus than to have everything the world can offer and not have Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's just better because we know the Lord. The end result is deep in faith, God glorified, testimony to the lost. No matter what we go through, the Lord is with us. He promises to be with us to the end of the age, and our suffering here is but light affliction. Second Corinthians says, For our light affliction was for but a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. It matures us. Knowing how it all ends, we can have peace in the midst of suffering. Now, I've read the end of the book, God wins. Amen? talk about sports a lot, sorry. But every once in a while, I'd videotape a game back in the day, and you videotape the game, and you want nobody to tell you the results because, you know, you're at church or whatever. And then someone tells you that your team won by, you know, 10 points. Well, then you're watching the guy, and he fumbles. You don't panic because you already know you're going to win by 10 points. Oh, I threw a pick. It doesn't matter. I know they win in the end, so it doesn't really matter. Now, if you're watching it live, what are you doing, right? And you get upset. (laughs) Guys, we know the end. God wins. Why panic? Amen. Amen? We're all panicking. Why? God wins. I know, I know how this is coming out. The Lord's coming back. He's going to rapture the church. We're going to rule and reign with them for a thousand years. And all the politicians will be out of office. <laughs> Amen? And God on the throne. So why are we panicking? This is not what matters in the end. The only thing that matters is people and seeing them saved. Amen? Point number C there. We're probably not going to finish. You're already panicking. We're not going to. Some priority on. Wait a minute. We still have to have communion. How are we going to do this? It's a great thing about teaching verse by verse. We'll, we'll go until, until we're done. Verse 14. The Spirit of God rests upon you. So expect suffering. It produces deeper fellowship with Jesus, and the Spirit of God rests upon you. Look at verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Boy, that is a great verse. 
Let me read that again. If you're reproached for Christ, for the name of Christ, blessed are you. So if someone mocks you or attacks you for being a Christian or mocks your faith, blessed, oh, how happy are you? God is blessed. Here's the reality. If people don't know you're saved, you're not living like a Christian. Amen? We're not supposed to be undercover Christians. Another day at work, nobody found out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Amen? Should, your neighbors should all know where you stand with Jesus. Amen? Amen. We don't keep it to ourselves. No one, you know, oh yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want anybody to find out because then they'll give me a hard time. He hung on a cross for us. We can stand it for him. And he gives us the Holy Spirit and the empowering to do it. Amen? Amen. If the, the world reviles you for standing for the Lord, if you're reproached for his name, how does God respond? Notice what it says there. He blesses you and then he says, for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. When the world attacks you, the Holy Spirit rests upon you. You're not going through it alone. Our God is faithful. He rests upon you. He'll never leave you. Seeking popularity with men leads to compromise. We don't want to be popular with men. We want to be faithful to God. Amen? Amen. You know how you be popular with men? You tell men what they want to hear. You do the things men want you to do. We have, pe we have people come, the church I pastor in Santa Cruz and here, or on the radio, they'll call me up and go, you know, man, if you dial it down a bit, man, it wouldn't be so great. I said, I don't know what it Dial it down. Where's that? First hesitations or something, right? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Guys, we're not called to win a popularity contest with an ungodly world. We're called to be faithful to the Lord and love people enough to tell them the truth and to pray that they would come to know Christ. Amen? We want to see people saved. It gives new meaning Oh, how happy are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake? You know why you, it gives new meaning? Because the Holy Spirit rests upon you when that happens. The world reviles you. The Holy Spirit rests upon you. He's comforting you. He's giving you boldness in the midst of persecution. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, peace, kindness. The Holy Spirit rests upon you in the midst of great trials. He gives us strength to endure suffering. It's interesting to know those who have suffered the most tend to be the ones God uses the most. It's a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I've said this often. Show me somebody the Bible used mildly, I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly. There's no example of anybody in the Bible that was used mildly that didn't suffer. They all suffered greatly. So we all say, well, I want to be used mildly, but I don't want to suffer greatly. Well, those two things kind of go hand in hand. And you know, most, and most of the suffering is, is things that are temporary. And we suffer through them because they're in their temper. Like it can be our health. It can be all, I'm not saying any of those things, you know, people go through divorces. You have wayward children. You lose people you love. All those things, and I'm saying any of those are easy. I'm not saying any of those shouldn't be grieved over or wept about. But the difference is that God is in control and God is faithful and we need to have an eternal perspective and realize, I would say this to Mark all the time, he bought a brand new truck for his business, it worked a week and then the engine blew. And we were sitting in the living room and I said, Mark, it won't matter when you get to heaven. He's like, you're right. And three weeks later, he was in heaven. He's not worried about that truck. Amen? 
See, in those things that become so important to us, when we have an eternal perspective, just aren't. It says that on their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Is the name of Jesus being blasphemed all over the world right now? What's the answer? And it's just nauseating, isn't it? Doesn't it just break your heart? You just, they, cuss his, they curse his name. They use his name as a cuss word. The Savior of the world, they use his name as a cuss word. The one who came and suffered and died that they might have eternal life, who endured torment and suffering and shame. And they mock him. And they cuss his name. Breaks your heart. But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. But in our lives, he shouldn't be blasphemed. He should be glorified. Amen? Amen? That's what he's saying here at the end of this verse. On your part, he is glorified. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. When the world blasphemes his name, we praise his name. We glorify his name. We honor his name. I had a, I had a couple long commutes this week. I like it. I like when I get a sales call two hours away. And I played this. Have you guys ever heard the song, There's Joy in the House of the Lord by Phil Wickham? I had it at volume 50, which is the highest, and played it over and over for an hour and a half straight all the way to Palmdale, singing out loud at the top of my lungs, getting a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like one day. There's just joy in the house of the Lord. Amen? What a joy, right? I mean, like, you know, I get it to a stoplight, and the guy's next to me like, whoa, I move my windows up, you know? <laughs> Praise in Jesus. Amen? Just good stuff. Guys, we know the Lord. We have a relationship. It's not in heaven and we already have it now. We have eternal life now. We get to sing his praises. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Not at Lowe's or at the grocery store, but in the house of the Lord. Amen? It's when we're here. The mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to stand up and praise him when everyone else around you is blaspheming his name. You can stand up and praise him because if someone's cursing my dad, I'm going to stand up for my dad. How about you? And he's our heavenly father. When people curse his name, you know, well, you don't know him because if you did, you wouldn't curse his name. You would praise his name. And we don't have to be self-righteous jerks or be arrogant or, you know, we're just like, hey, I know him. He's amazing. Amen. And I love him. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not ashamed to stand up for the truth of who God is and what he's done in my life. He's such a faithful God. Martyrs throughout history had the spirit resting upon them. They would sing praise songs even as they were burnt at the stake while those around them were blaspheming their name, his name. world blasphemes his name as Christians. We should always bring praise and glory and honor to his name, even in the midst of suffering. See, that's the whole point. We're going to stop right there and we're going to go to communion. But that's the whole point. The whole point is he's writing to people who are suffering. That's the context of the, of the chapter. And he's encouraging them, hey, guys, when the world blasphemes, do keep praising his name. When they, when they you know, say, they're going to throw you to lions, you keep praising his name. When they threaten to throw you in jail, you keep praising his name. Because, guys, all, the worst the world can do to me is the best that could happen to me. Can't threaten me with heaven. Amen. Peter got, Paul got stoned to death at Lystra, got up and went right back into Lystra and started preaching the gospel. And, we, and there's not a doubt in my mind because later he says, I know a man who was caught up in the third heaven. He got a glimpse of heaven and you could not threaten him with sending him back there. 
dude, I've seen heaven throw rocks. I'm right. I won't even move. I'm standing right here. I'm going <laughs> to preach the gospel. I already know what heaven's better. Nobody's in heaven wanting to come back here. Amen. 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 And praise God for that. But as believers in the midst of torment, remember when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? Amen. Anything the world can take from us down here doesn't matter because it won't matter in heaven anyway. And we need to praise him in the midst of even those greatest of storms. So let's review. We just did the first half of the message. Well, because we were finishing off last week's as well, it's okay. There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. If we are to grow spiritually, we must learn to rejoice in suffering. See suffering for what it truly is, not worldly affliction meant to cause pain, but a divine appointment sent to help us grow spiritually. And then expect suffering as a normal part of the Christian life. So we're going to suffer in this life. In this world, we will have tribulation. It produces deeper fellowship with Jesus. Again, when you're lying down in green pastures, you can forget where the shepherd is. It's around her somewhere. But when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you hang on to the Lord with both hands. Amen? You know, when you're most desperate, when you're most crying out to God, when you're in the deepest and darkest trial of your life. And so praise God in the midst of it. It develops a deeper fellowship with Him. And then finally, the Spirit of God rests upon you. Isn't it good to know in the midst of trials that the Holy Spirit is with you, that He dwells within you? He's called the Comforter. So he's there to comfort you. He convicts us when he sin. He comforts us when we're hurting. And he's, he's, he's God. Holy Spirit is God. Amen? Amen? So he lives inside of us. Now, we're not God, but he does dwell in us. We often say, I would love to be one of the 12 apostles. I would too. I think we all would. To, to walk with Jesus for three years would be amazing. But you know what's almost more amazing? They had him for three years and then he left. The Holy Spirit came inside of us. He never leaves. He never leaves. He's a faithful God. Well, now as we prepare for this time of communion, Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is something we do to remember the cross of Calvary, the greatest act of love in all of human history. We look back to the cross. Three things I always encourage us to do. Look back to the cross. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So as we're taking this, remember the greatest act of love in all of human history, that Jesus hung on a cross and suffered out of love for us. Remember that. Thank him for it. But not only do we look back to the cross of Calvary, not only looking back, but we look within. No, this should be a time of self-examination. We'll talk about that next week. You know, be there any wicked way in me, Lord. Examine my heart before you, Lord. Show me. It might be a time of confession before the Lord. And then not only looking back and looking within, but looking ahead. Because the Lord told them, the apostles, he said, the next time you're going to have this with me, you'll have it with me in heaven. I'm looking forward to Lord's Supper in heaven. How about you? I'm longing for that day. So as the elements come, just hang on to them. Take a few moments while the worship team leads us in a song. And just take them, hold on to them and spend some time with the Lord, just between you and the Lord. And then... I'll come up in a moment and we'll take them together. Lord, we pray as we go to this time of communion now. Lord, examine our hearts before you. Lord, we're thankful that in the midst of suffering, you never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, you suffered more than we ever can imagine out of your love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You knew us best and you love us most. 
And you are willing to do that out of love for us. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen.